0: Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. So I'm going to read that passage for us, and then John will come up to preach for us. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
1: Everybody needs good neighbours. So says the theme song of Australia's longest running TV drama, Neighbours, obviously, uh, which we'll pay our respects. It finished earlier this year in July. Um, But everybody needs good neighbours. So says everybody else. Wouldn't it be great to live in a world where your neighbours don't cause trouble and where you're not living in fear of being the cause of neighbourly troubles? Uh, Well, a few years ago, a survey was conducted to find common causes of neighbourly disputes. Uh, In 10th place, noisy children were a common cause of complaint. Uh, Number nine, they won't pay for their half of the garden fence. Number eight, they keep knocking things into their garden. Uh, Number seven, they don't take their bins out. How annoying is that? Uh, Number six, they don't... Oh, sorry, they cut their trees down. As in, your neighbor is cutting your trees down. Naughty. Uh, Number five, they put their rubbish in your bin. Number four, they park over your driveway or in your spot. Number three... Plants and trees overgrowing into their property. Uh, Number two, having loud parties. And number one, playing music loudly. I wonder if any of you have fallen foul of something on that list, whether you've been on the receiving end or the giving end. uh, You don't have to confess it all tonight. But uh, how we relate to each other as human beings uh, is really important. And at first glance, our scripture reading from Luke 10 this evening is all about that. Uh, all about how we love our neighbours and how we care for our fellow man. But dig a bit deeper, and you'll see that as well as being about what we do, this story also gets to the heart of what we do as well. It gets to the root of our behaviours, and it actually reveals to us that we need something far greater than ourselves if we want to inherit eternal life, which is the question that uh, someone asks Jesus, verse 25. So let's start with verse 25. We've got the slides up Russ? or not? No worries. Yeah, well, thank you. So we we'll start with verse 25. An expert in the law appears, this lawyer, and uh, he asks Jesus what I'm going to call a good question. That's our first point, a good question. It is a good question. It's got a bit of a bad motive, Uh, Look at verse 25, Uh, an expert in the law, someone who made it his business to know the Jewish law inside out, asks Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But look again, we see that he's actually doing it to test Jesus. He stood up to test Jesus. Now that could be a good thing, you know, trying to work out if Jesus was orthodox. This new teacher comes along, we want to make sure that he's preaching something sound, whether he's going to be able to to teach correctly. But more likely, given his attitude through the rest of the passage, uh, especially looking at verse 29, where we see that he's really only interested in himself, he wants to justify himself, uh, we get the feeling that he's actually trying to catch Jesus out. So he's asking a good question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, but with a bad motive? Sometimes uh, we ask questions like that, not because we want the answer necessarily, but because we want something else. Um, Children particularly, have you ever waited until bedtime to start asking really deep and important questions? It's a perfect way of uh, trying to delay bedtime just that extra few minutes. So try it tonight. (laughs) If you're being tucked into bed by your parents tonight, just ask them. This question, what must I do to inherit eternal life and see how long you can string that out for, <laughs> or, or a similar one, how can I become a christian let 's see if you get to stay up a few minutes longer, but despite the lawyer wanting to test Jesus, uh, it is a reasonable question to be asking: What must I do to inherit eternal life jesus we, we've heard we 've all heard you talking about the kingdom. Uh, It sounds good. We're really looking forward to the bit when all our enemies are defeated. Uh, Really looking forward to the bit where we get to live in peace without suffering and pain and death. And the fact that it'll last forever, that's wonderful. But how do I get in? What do I need to do to earn my place in the kingdom? How do I get a ticket? Or seeing as we're talking about neighbours, how do I get into the neighbourhood? It's a good question. And for you and me, there's no better question to be asking. There's no question more important to us in our whole lives than the question of whether we can have eternal life. Now, you might not realize that it's that important, but consider the alternative, which is um, eternal death, eternal suffering, eternal separation from God, eternal separation from the God who gives every good thing, Eternal separation from God, who is the, the source of life and love, eternal pain, eternal torments. That is the alternative to eternal life. It's very serious. And so it is absolutely vital that we've asked ourselves the question what must I do to inherit this eternal life? And Jesus takes this question and turns it back on the lawyer. Uh, look at verse 26 uh, You're a lawyer. What does the law say? What is written in the law? How do you read it? What does the law of Moses, the Jewish law, say? And uh, the lawyer replies with a good answer. If we could have the next slide up Russ, get to the second point. Uh, a good answer. The lawyer does give a good answer. Uh, the law says, the Old Testament law, says in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse four, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And, uh, and Luke records that the lawyer adds, um, with all your mind as well. Uh, don't let that worry you about people editing the Bible, but it's just another expression that sums up that verse from Deuteronomy. You're to love God with every part of you, however you want to divide yourself up into uh, mind, strength, body, emotions, soul, heart, guts, or, or whatever else, uh, however else you want to divide yourself into categories you've got to love God with all of it all of your being completely and the lawyer adds a a second command Uh, this is from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 he says and love your neighbor as yourself not merely the next door neighbor uh, but generally the other people around us and together these two commands really sum up everything that is written in the law of God. Everything that could be possibly expected of us by God can be summarized in these two commands. And Jesus agrees. Uh, Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Really? That, That sounds far too simple. But Jesus is very clear, do this and you will live. It's simple, if you want to get eternal life, By doing, then you need to love God and love others perfectly. Go for it. But before we go on and see how that plays out in the rest of the passage, it's worth noting that both these commands are expected of us. Some of us are the kind of love God kind of people. Uh, we are obsessed with God's holiness and his purity, we're fixed on serving him, we're fixed on worshipping him and praising him, loving him with all our being, and that's good. We're obsessed with getting the Bible right because it tells us about the God we love, and that is excellent. Uh, Others of us are love your neighbour kind of people. Uh, We care for the people in our community, uh, we spend time helping people. We give money to charities and other good causes in order to love our neighbours. And sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that one of those commands is more important than the other. And so sometimes you get whole movements of Christians or, or churches that see their main priority in life is to help other people at whatever cost. My, my neighbour doesn't need to hear about God and the good news of Jesus Christ, my neighbour doesn't need to know how to inherit eternal life. They need food. They need clothing. They need shelter. They need to be warm and well-fed. But then you get other movements and churches and Christians that see their main priority in life is to spread the message of the gospel with no regard for people's physical needs here and now. Um, I once spoke to someone who was adamant that they will not give anything to the poor because... He says, uh, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. So the logic then goes, if the poor are always going to be with us, then we don't need to do anything about it. Now, in my mind, that's flawed logic. That doesn't make any sense. And the commands here are not pick and mix, pick and choose. You must love God with every part of you, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll see what that means in a minute. But don't try and be a a one or the other kind of Christian. Jesus calls you to love God and your neighbor. And so the lawyer gives this answer. If you want eternal life, it's all about love. Loving God and loving your neighbor. But he has a problem. Uh, He knows he doesn't match up to the standard that the law sets. So he tries to justify himself, uh, verse 29. Now we do that as well. Um, When we know we don't meet up to certain standards, we often try and justify ourselves in certain ways. Uh, Let's say that you park your car in a car park and accidentally bump another car. I know it wouldn't happen, surely, but there's another car next to you. There's a a big scratch and a big dent in the side of it. Now, if you were to try and justify yourself, uh, you might try and diminish the problem. You might try and and say, and convince yourself that actually the dent isn't that big, the scratch isn't that deep, it doesn't go over too many panels, it'll be fine. It's an old car anyway, they're not going to mind. That's one way of of trying to justify yourself. Or you might try and shift the blame onto someone else. They shouldn't have parked there, they're far too close to the line. It's it's their fault. The car park spacing should be bigger, it's the car park owner's fault. This car park's dark, they should put some lighting up. And so there's loads of ways we try and justify ourselves. And the lawyer seeks to try and justify uh, himself here by questioning what it really means to love my neighbour. He's looking for a loophole. Obviously, love your neighbour can't mean everyone. It's just evident, isn't it? So, what is the law talking about? If loving your neighbour can't mean everyone, what does it mean? So it's another bad motive. He asked the question at the beginning with a bad motive, and this time he's got a bad motive because he wants to justify himself. But this uh, reveals more than just his motive. Uh, it reveals that he probably thought he'd got the first commandment nailed. Uh, if you were going to try and justify yourself, I wonder which part of the law you were trying to justify yourself with. But we get the impression that he's the kind of chap that thinks, surely it's, it's easy to love God. That's the the easy part. You just need to do the usual rituals, and when you get things wrong, you do the right sacrifices, and and all that kind of thing. God is gracious and compassionate, rich in mercy, abounding in love, all that kind of thing. That, That bit's easy. So the bit I need to justify myself is love my neighbor as myself. That's the way this lawyer is thinking. So, I wonder whether you uh, think loving God or loving your neighbour is easier. Um, how would you try and justify yourself in that situation? Well, Jesus gives him an answer to his question, Who is my neighbour? He gives him an answer by way of a story. Uh, and it's a story that many of us know very well, but let's make sure that we don't let familiarity with the story uh, blind us to what Jesus is saying. Uh, he tells the story of a good Samaritan. Thanks for us. Uh, We all know lawyers like a good case study, and so Jesus gives him one. There's a man going from Jerusalem and down to Jericho. He gets attacked, he gets robbed, and beaten up. Um, It's about a 17 mile walk through rugged terrain, perfect for robbers to hide on the way and pick off some unsuspecting travellers. And they beat him up, uh, verse 30 they strip him of his clothes and they leave him for dead it's a very sad story the man stripped of his clothes is now unidentifiable anything that could identify him you know the way he dresses his uh, his status his social status his economic status unidentifiable no one knows who he is he's a complete nobody just by looking at him Anyone walking past would have no idea of what nationality he was, uh, what religion he was, what social status he was. No idea whether this man could be my neighbour. But look at uh, verse 31. There's a a priest coming down the road. Surely if there's anyone who's going to inherit eternal life, it's going to be this guy. He'll know what to do to fulfil the law. Oh, but wait, he's crossing the road and passing by. He's trying to not even look at the man. Oh, but it's all right. There's a Levite coming, verse 32. Uh, A Levite was one of the priestly assistants. Um, They'd kind of take charge of some of the cleaning of the temple and the security issues, uh, some of the butchery, some of the music. Um, So Surely he's a good guy. He's going to inherit eternal life. He must know what to do. But no, he's doing the same thing. He passed by on the other side. So what's going wrong? Well, we'll just pause there for a minute. There have been lots of attempts over the years to try and uh, explain the priest's behavior. Uh, The most basic one being that if he touched the guy and the guy turned out to be dead. It's not very clear just by looking at him whether he's even still alive. If he did that, he'd not be able to serve in the temple again. He will have been made unclean by the dead body. Might be a good reason. But the danger of trying to give reasons to this, firstly is that Jesus doesn't give a reason, so you might be reading too much into it. But secondly, um, if we try and excuse the priest's behaviour then we're not very far from the lawyer's behavior of trying to justify himself, and we're not very far from trying to justify ourselves as well. If we try and make excuses for and justify the priest and the the Levite, it might be because we're actually trying to justify our own lack of love for our neighbor. But regardless of that, it is a very, very difficult position to be in. Uh, as a priest or the Levite there, is the kind of scenario where they would feel completely stuck between a rock and a hard place. The priest would feel like he's got to make a choice between love God, on the one hand, and love your neighbor. If he helps the man and then becomes unclean, then the worship in the temple might be in jeopardy. Uh, There are other priests that could fill the role, but This is quite important, it is an important role as a priest that the duties in the temple, he needs to be clean to do that and the worship life of the whole nation depends on this. But if he doesn't help the man then he'd be in danger of not loving his neighbour. It's an impossible decision to make. Of course he could help the man Uh, and give up the status of being a priest, sacrifice the position and the the ministry he has, but he doesn't. He makes the decision to walk on by. And the same is true of the Levites. So (laughs) why did the priest cross the road? To avoid inconvenience in himself and having to give up his position. But look at verse 33. Um, Here comes a Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him now if this were a pantomime the samaritan would come dressed in black it'd be all hunchbacked and all of you would have to say boo and hiss and you know all the kind of things you do at pantomimes i've not been to one for many years uh, but everyone would be thinking here comes the samaritan watch out Th- this guy on the floor he's half dead we know what the Samaritan's going to do he's going to come and finish the job now the samaritans and jews didn't get on Uh, Samaritans were descended from the Israelite tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, They'd intermarried with men and women from other religions. And so now, by the Jews, they were seen as a kind of half-breed, a very low-class human being, if human at all. Um, Racism between Jews and Samaritans was absolutely rife. Uh, The Samaritans had built their own temple, which the Jews didn't like, because uh, there's only one true temple, and that's in Jerusalem, um, and Samaria was the kind of place where all the outlaws and the criminals and the refugees went from um, uh, from Jerusalem, and so it had a bad reputation for the kind of people that lived there. The Samaritans didn't accept the same scriptures as the Jews, and, and so there's so many of these massive differences between these two nations, these two people groups, and there was massive hatred. Uh, between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. So what could the Samaritan possibly do in this story? Everyone's expecting him to do something wicked. But he comes and he, far from putting the boot in, he actually helps the man. Incredible. He has no idea who this man is. He has no idea how uh, religious he is, even what religion he is, uh, He doesn't know what his social status is, where he's from, where he's going. He knows nothing, Uh, but he helps him anyway. What kind of help does he show the man? Well, it's it's very sacrificial. Uh, He came where the man was. He didn't walk away. He came over to him. Uh, When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's kind of medicinal kind of stuff just trying to look after the guy's immediate needs. Then he put the man on his own donkey. So he's gonna have to walk. The Samaritan's gonna have to walk and the other guy's gonna get to ride on the donkey. Uh, so he's giving up his comfort and his, his comfy ride. Uh, he brought him to an inn, hotel type kind of place, and, uh, and took care of him. Uh, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He says, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. This is totally sacrificial. He puts his own life at risk, because there could have been robbers waiting there, and this could have just been a trap. Um, He gives up his time, he gives up his oil, his wine, he gives up his money, and offers to give whatever else is necessary to restore this man. That's sacrificial love. And so, when Jesus asks the question in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? When Jesus asks that question, the answer should be blatantly obvious. When the law says, love your neighbour as yourself, there's a great example right there. How would you want to have been treated in that situation? Um, in fact, put it a different way how would you treat yourself in that situation if you were lying there if you could have done anything for yourself uh, right there this guy couldn't he was half dead but if you could have helped yourself what would you do I think for many of us it would be no expense spared we'd make sure we get the finest treatment available it wouldn't be an inn that we'd be going to we'd be getting something more five star six star if we could get it and we would be looking after ourselves really really well are we prepared to treat others that way? Love your neighbour as yourself. Uh, it's hard, isn't it? And every time we come across a situation where we might be able to, an opportunity to love our neighbour as ourselves, we find ourselves justifying ourselves as to why we shouldn't help this person. Um, As an example, a few weeks ago, we were in Keswick for the Keswick Convention, big Christian convention, Bible convention, uh, good Christian teaching, um, lots of time spent dwelling on Scripture and singing God's praises and being with many, many, many people, uh, uh, other Christians, um, and we all descend on the Lake District, and it's a great time. But after one of the meetings, we all went for a little walk around town, do a bit of shopping, have a bit of lunch, And by the side of the street, there was a beggar. little sign saying, hungry, homeless, please help. Now, immediate thought, I don't need to. I can't afford it. I haven't got time. There's plenty of other people. This town's full of Christians now. There's loads of other people to do it. And yet I was put to shame by one of my daughters who said, We need to do something about this. Can we go and get something for this man? So we we did. We went and asked him if we could help him. And we went on and did it. But the point is, the immediate response was to try and say, no, I don't need to. I don't want to. I haven't got the capacity to. But in that moment, we realized, actually, no, God has given us what we need. Uh, He's given us what we need to help other people. As well, and we can love other people as ourselves. So, what lesson do we learn from this parable? Firstly, verse 37 go and do likewise. It's very simple. There's no escape in this command. We, we can try and uh, look for deeper meaning in the parable, and, and we can look at the passage in context and say, well, it's not mainly about loving your neighbor, it's mainly about eternal life and all this kind of stuff. No, that the main point is. Go and do likewise. Go and love your neighbor as yourself. And we might uh, try and self-justify by saying that this passage is not about that and it's about having a right attitude towards God. And, no, We're to be good neighbors. We are to care for the people around us. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 talks about doing good to all, especially those of the household of faith. We're to give and love sacrificially not at the expense of evangelism and mission and truth and Bible teaching, but alongside those kind of things. Uh, John Piper, the American preacher, pastor, uh, said something along the lines of the, the, the mission for his church was to help relieve suffering, especially eternal suffering. You've got the two sides of that. Eternal suffering, the, the, the bit about loving God and, and making sure everyone knows the gospel and is able to respond to God in faith through Christ. But there's the element of physical needs here and now where it's to relieve suffering wherever we can in the ways, uh, if God's blessed us with certain things, he's blessed us so we can be a blessing to others. And those two things are vital. We need to love God and our neighbor. So that's the first thing we need to go and do likewise. But secondly, uh, we learn that it's very, very hard for us to keep these commands. Uh, sometimes it's because we feel that we uh, have an impossible choice before us, like the priest and the Levites. they have that impossible choice. Do we defile ourselves or do we um, walk on by and keep ourselves pure? Sometimes uh, we find it hard just because we're downright selfish. What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. And sometimes we have the same mindset as that of the robbers. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. And it's selfishness. It's thinking that we deserve what's best. But we are called to have the same mindset as that of the Samaritan. What's mine is yours, and you keep it. And everything else that you need. So when we think about the law, love God, love your neighbor, in the context of this passage, does anyone still think that they can fulfill that law, keep that law, and inherit eternal life? Jesus has just raised the bar so high, it seems impossible. Uh, Which is why we need a great saviour, that's our last point. We need a great Saviour. None of us have or will keep these commands perfectly. Trying to get eternal life by doing could work. The problem is we've already blown it. And we keep on blowing it. We are not going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves perfectly for the rest of our lives. And we haven't loved the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and loved our neighbor as ourselves for all our life so far. Even the youngest one of us here tonight has not loved God and loved neighbor as they should. Whether your neighbor is your brother or your sister, whether your neighbor is your husband or wife, your next door neighbor, your work colleagues, the, the people sitting with you in church, the people sitting out there, not in church, loads of ways, loads of people that we haven't loved as we should. So we could try and get eternal life, but for all of us, we've demonstrated that we've already messed up. But there is a better way. Uh, Jesus is the better Samaritan. Uh, Now, there is a way of reading this parable uh, which has history on its side, but not a lot else. Uh, it involves reading the parable as an allegory. Uh, the early church fathers took it this way. Uh, you might have to keep up a little bit. The man who is going down is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise. Jericho is the world. The robbers are hostile powers. The priest is the law. The Levite is the prophets, and the Samaritan is Christ. The wounds are disobedience. The beast is the Lord's body. There's the inn, or the stable, uh which accepts all who wish to enter is the church and further the two denarii mean the father and the son the manager of the stable is the head of the church to whom its care has been entrusted now that's a bit much to take in I don't think it's a very helpful way to read the Bible I think uh, you're trying to read things where it's not actually very clear from what Jesus is saying but I think there is merit in seeing Jesus in the story So where does he fit in? Uh, Is he the priest or the Levite representing people before God and demonstrating love for God and and commitment to the purity of his people? Um, Yes, but he's better than the priest and the Levite uh, because he's able to act in a way that shows love for God and neighbor. And because he's God himself, He's not going to be made impure by anything else. In fact, in the Gospels, we, we see many accounts of Jesus not becoming impure when he comes into contact with impure things, whether it's spirits or uh, sick people, lepers, uh, lepers, those kind of things. We actually see him cleansing those people. So far from uh, being contaminated by people, he actually decontaminates others. So he could be the priest or the Levite. Was he perhaps the man who was beaten up? Well, he certainly was beaten. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Uh, A man of suffering, a familiar with pain. He also was rejected by the religious elite. So there's an element of Jesus' in the man that was beaten up but we see Jesus best in the character of the Samaritan who saw a man who needed help and was willing to give whatever it takes to save the man who was left for dead Jesus was willing to give whatever it took to save us who are dead in our trespasses and sins we can't match up to God's standards that we read about earlier in the chapter about loving God and loving our neighbour. Even if we could, we haven't in the past. We need cleansing, we need forgiving. We need Jesus to take care of us and to save us who have been left for dead. And so the parable is about far more than just merely caring for the poor. It's about what love really looks like and what grace really looks like Jesus took pity on us Jesus showed us compassion and gave us everything that was his to save us and so now we can inherit eternal life not because of what we've done I mean it's a bit silly to think you can do anything to inherit some legacy you inherit things certainly in these days by being part of the right family so trying to do something to earn it doesn't make sense but now, we can inherit it in life because we've been adopted into the right family. Not because of what we've done to earn it, but because of what Christ has done to earn it on our behalf. He's the only one who's loved God and neighbour absolutely perfectly. So to finish off, where do we go from here? Firstly, don't stop loving God and loving your neighbour. Don't think, I've blown it, I can't possibly do this. I'm going to give up. No, this is a good command. Jesus affirms this. He says, Go and do likewise. Love God, love your neighbour. That's a good thing to do, so don't give up. Secondly, do stop trying to earn your way to heaven. It is fruitless, it is exhausting, and it just won't work. Thirdly, stop trying to earn your inheritance. It's an inheritance, it's given to you, it's a gift, you don't need to earn it. Fourthly, do confess your sin. Uh, Nathan's going to lead us in a prayer of confession in a few moments. Confess your sin, repent and turn to Jesus who forgives our sin. He loves God perfectly, he loves his neighbours perfectly by giving up everything he had for our sakes. Uh, And finally, do go and follow his example Go and do likewise. Go and be good neighbours. Go and care for the people that God puts in front of you. If God gives you the opportunity to help someone in need, he also gives you the ability to help someone in need. So go and do likewise.